Welcome to the Sum of It All Faster Isn't Smarter podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring Faster Isn't Smarter by Kathy Seeley. Transcripts to our podcasts are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. And today we are kicking off the theme, technology as a tool with messages 5, 43, and 44. And what a time to be talking about technology. Uh, We've all experienced some technology in the classroom over the last few years, both in the context of the pandemic and just in the context of our world and the growing technology that's out there for us to use. So some of those experiences have been overwhelmingly positive and we hear teachers saying, I'm never going back to an old way of doing things. Uh, But definitely we have heard other instances and other teachers express things have been more difficult with technology. And we've heard teachers say they can't wait to go back to low tech teaching. So as we start, Mark, I'm curious, how have you seen technology in the classroom change since you started teaching? Great question, Audrey. You know, it's it's interesting to have this topic and, and think way back to when I started teaching um, of, you know, the thing I thought of right away, Audrey, when you asked that question is in my fifth grade classroom, uh, the school had just decided to get rid of a computer lab and I inherited all these computers in my classroom and my fifth grade classroom. And you know, really just thinking about what are the kids going to do on those computers? And I have to say, sometimes they sat a little bit vacant during the day. And, you know, just with this whole making decisions of should kids have the computers? Should they not? Should they be in a lab? And, you know, it really made me think about what has changed and what has stayed the same. And as I reflect on that, you know, the types of technology has changed, like from computers to iPads and there's improved graphics and but there's a lot of things that have stayed the same around technology and education. You know, this challenge of ensuring the technology as a tool versus a tutor. And the other thing I'm thinking about is I look back at the tech application of myself and my colleagues as we decided what to do with the tech, because a lot of times people didn't really tell us what to do with the tech. And I think a lot of the times what we did with the tech, it matched the beliefs we had around instruction. So if I was a teacher that used worksheets, hey, now I have technology to use digital worksheets. So um, I'm really excited to dive into this topic today, Audrey. I think that's really interesting, like just to hear that experience you had. Um, We were joking when we we were prepping for this that I, my first early memories of math are number (laughs) munchers. So there was definitely (laughs) a technology influence in my own education. But when I started teaching, there was absolutely no tech in my classroom, or I wouldn't consider it tech. There was an overhead projector. Um, (laughs) I suppose some teachers are like, that is tech. Um, But I, you know, eventually had a rolling classroom cart that had laptops in them, but you had that we shared them among many teachers. You had to check them out way in advance. Um, They weren't always working, you know, all of the early tech problems that folks had. And then like on the other side of things, as a high school teacher, um, I used the same graphing calculator I used in high school was the same one that was on the market and was expected to be purchased for my students more than a decade later for the calculus class I taught um, as a teacher. And it was the exact same price. Wow. Um, there had been no technology advances that I could see um, or you know, 
I, I literally still had my calculator and it looked and, you know, I had to put my name on it. So students didn't take mine um, and think it was theirs. Like they were so similar. And so wow. it's interesting, like some things don't change very quickly mm -hmm. in terms of technology. Yeah. Um, but I also like, we didn't even have calculators for our students. I had to write a grant to get calculators as something our students could access regularly and choose to use. So when you talk about technology, there's like all kinds of facets of it. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely there's, I'm sure as you're thinking about this, our listeners, like there's some things you're like, oh yeah, I remember the day we had to introduce calculators in our classrooms or yeah, we still don't have good access for laptops for our students or whatever the case is. So as we kind of dive into these messages, keep those in mind because each of our experiences with those are different and so are our students. Um, so to kick us off into message five, thinking about technology as a tool, um, when does it make sense to use technology? Like we don't always have access to it, but when we do, like when does it make sense to use technology and when does it not? Yeah, I, I just think that's a, that's a great question to, to frame our whole discussion with Audrey. And, you know, right from the get go in this message and message five, there's this quote from Steve Ballmer, former CEO of Microsoft. And in that quote, he says, technology lets people be creative. And I just thought that was placed so well because it reminds me of our last episode. In our last episode, Audrey, we're talking about creativity in mathematics and how do we make sure that that might happen in the mathematics classroom. And um, I just really love the idea of that being front and, set, front and center because um, that really provides a di direction that might be a little different than we might be thinking of with technology and mathematics. I think that's a great point. I think I could offer up that one of the times we shouldn't be using it is when we're just doing it to be fashionable. Mm. And I know that that's probably not the first thing most teachers are like, hey, I want to be the cool teacher. Um, so I'm going to throw some technology in here. But we all do things because someone says, hey, like, this is the cool thing for teachers to do. Or we get told like on our campus, like, we got to use more tech in the classroom. So we've right. got all these resources, go ahead and throw them into your classroom somehow. And that's probably not the right reason to stick technology in front of your students. For sure. And I think that even in the title there, and we've used it already, that idea of technology as a tool, I think that word tool really just sort of directs us to think about how we might use it. And, and, and Kathy mentions on page 32, we can capitalize on tools that, that might help students learn more mathematics, not less. So just those two things together, the creativity that we want to um, cause to happen, and then the fact that a tool is going to actually allow students to learn more mathematics that they would have not been able to, to learn without that tool, I think is fascinating. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. You know, technology, when you think about how it's opened access to um, being able to calculate things you couldn't engage in before, graph things that would have been impossible to graph by hand or to look at quickly. Um, you know, when I started teaching, you know, you could accomplish one or two, you know, graphs in a class period, whereas now, with the technology you have, kids can quickly look at graphs and do the noticing and wondering that they need to be doing around those graphs and spend, spend, spending all of their time plotting the points, you know, um, and not to say there's not, shouldn't be time to plot points, but that's not the only thing we're doing with graphs. I also think like in terms of um, some of the projects that we used to do, they would take us weeks for students to be able to visualize or see or experience something in mathematics where with technology, you can do that so much faster. You can manipulate things and look at things in a different way. Yeah, for sure. It makes me think about uh, a, a website out there right now, Audrey, that I think is fantastic. And it's called Mathagon. You and I have shared different things from that website. It's a free website 
Um, and it makes me think about just what you're talking about, which is that you can get on Mathagon and have kids at the elementary level or the secondary level, like manipulate something and start to, to reason around that. And these are the types of 3D representations and others that, that would be really complicated to replicate in paper and pencil. And so again, that's that creativity and that, that how tech is making something possible that is not possible before, that part of things are, is pretty exciting. It truly is. And, you know, I think about how so many of our students have access to smartphones of different kinds, like that has become a technology that's um, embedded in their world um, as we become a more technological world. And things like Desmos have come up with an app where it's a free graphing calculator. So students have in their pocket for free, uh, minus the cost of their cell phone plan, whatever their parents are paying, um, access to an amazing graphical tool that um, can help them do all kinds of analysis in all kinds of places. Like you don't have to have an expensive graphing calculator that you're carting around with you. Like you can experience that um, anywhere. It's, it travels with you lightly. And so um, between Desmos calculators and their activity builders, there's just so much out there um, in that platform as well that just give access where before um, those types of experiences weren't possible for our students. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, and all this talking about calculating, uh, Audrey, is making me think about computation and how this sort of creeps into this idea of, of technology. And there's a quote on page 35 that I think really addresses this is, do we want to invest in creating humans who can compute as well as machines or in developing mathematical thinkers who know how to use the tools available to make sense and to solve demanding problems. Um, I just think that that really, you know, has us sort of have to grapple with this idea of technology and when am I using it? When should I not use it? And I, it seems like computation always comes up as a topic to, to try to figure out, right? It absolutely does. So does feedback in terms of um, how often or how mm. quickly students should have feedback on something, right? So we often say like, isn't technology great? Because kids can get quick feedback, uh, but some of that feedback isn't good feedback or productive feedback that they can use um, in a way that's promoting the kind of thinking or reasoning you're asking them to do. Um, I do think it's worthwhile to note, like last night, my daughter had homework on Zern. Uh, which is another platform that's used widely in our area. Um, and she had a series of problems that she was expected to do. Um, and they were all on the screen. So she could see them all at the same time. And she was working her way through um, subtraction within 10. And each time they gave a problem uh, next to it, it had three choices. So it was like 10 minus eight. And she had to pick, was it three, two or one? And then 10 minus seven. And was that four five or two or whatever? Um, and she's going through them. And I noticed that, she, you know, I'm just watching and I noticed she got one sure. wrong and it doesn't tell her she got one wrong. She's just moving her way through the problems, but she got to a further problem and she had like an aha moment. She goes, wait a minute. And she went back up two problems, clicked on a previous problem and changed her answer mm. because she realized in doing the next problem that it pushed back on some of her understanding of like, wait, that those both can't be three. This one for sure is three. That one must be two. Um, and so at the end was the opportunity to get feedback. So she finished all the series of problems. She clicked, I'm ready right. to check. And then it gave her like, these are right. Consider this one again. Um, and so I just think Sometimes we think about um, there's an all or none with feedback, like a lot of the programs that when they came out initially, it was like they were immediately saying to the students, you did a prom, you got it right. You did a prom, you got it wrong. 
but this idea of delayed feedback or when it's appropriate, you know, I'm seeing advances in the technology that's out there and we need to be considerate of that as an educator and when is the feedback appropriate for our students. Yeah, great example, because that that allowed your daughter to to have that moment where she could be reflective and self-correct. Uh, and I think that's important because otherwise, if we're having this immediate feedback of right, wrong, every time somebody, a kid does something on a computer, then what we're doing is we're, we're teaching them that, you know, you're just going to have somebody tell you right or wrong. So you don't need to reflect on that. So that's, that's a great example. You know, this all think, makes me think about equity and access, um, you know, because I know in my, my work with elementary school students, sometimes the technology becomes the piece to have that digital worksheet to master the basics, quote unquote basics, before they're allowed to use technology to do more advanced activities. And so I think, I think again, we need to think about what the purpose of having kids using technology in, in any given moment and, and how is it advancing their, their critical thinking and allowing them to do that in a different setting versus them never getting access to do critical thinking because now they're using technology but they're using technology to do the low level thing that they're going to be trapped in for a series of years or perhaps forever. I think that's well said, Mark. I think there's a lot of issues there with equity and thinking about getting access to the devices, regular use of technology, but then really thinking about what are we asking students to do with this technology and what are expected of students in my classroom and how are we not creating an inequitable system of some kids get to do the good stuff and everyone right. else is doing this low level math. Um, so before we move on, I wanna just ask what mm -hmm. questions in the, in the reflection just stood out to you this time in this message? Oh yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that Audrey because uh, for those of you that have the books, I mean, I hope you're looking in the back of the messages in each of, because Kathy has just done a fantastic job of these, including these great reflection questions. And she also has related messages and uh, really a, a robust a series of resources to go find uh, other information. So just a shout out about those. And, but to your question, uh, the, the question that in the, in the back of the section that really stood out to me is, in what ways do you effectively use technology to raise the level of mathematics your students learn? Just, just this idea of how are you using tech to raise the level of mathematics? I love that question. I think that's a great one. And that's a great one if you're a math leader or a coach that you could bring in alongside your teachers and just ask and encourage them and say, like, let's ponder this together. Like, how can we use technology to raise the level of mathematics that our students are doing? Um, so that's fantastic. Well, as we've been talking about how technology is a tool, I'm, I want to move us into implementation a little bit and talk about how technology can offer lots of opportunities for our students. Um, but one way that Mark and I have like learned to kind of approach thinking about implementation is thinking about the needs of our variable learners, like thinking about the, the variability that's inherently there um, and in doing so considering what barriers exist for our learners and how we remove barriers and then create opportunities instead. And so as we think through some of these, I'd like us to kind of keep that in mind. And let's start with um, in message 43, Kathy offers one example is a, a flipped classroom. Um, what did you think about this example about the flipped classroom work? Well, I, I just thought Kathy's analysis was just, just right on. I, I thought she really did a, a great job of, of sharing kind of the pros and cons of the idea of a flipped classroom. And in the end, I, I thought she really brought out the point of like, you know, what are, what are we really 
what, or maybe, you know, really Audrey, back to what you said a moment ago with barriers, right? What barrier are we removing by using a flipped classroom? Because if I still have the lecture and I put the lecture on a video and I have the kids watch the video, is that really different than if I'm lecturing in person? It's sort of like, I'm just, it's kind of like I'm moving these things around. Um, so I, I thought that she really just gives some, you know, pause. And I think that's really the thing that I think we've been talking about so far here with the fad and so forth. It's like, let's take a pause and not just say, yeah, let me just video all my lectures. Like, let's stop for a second and say, what barrier am I removing from my students by doing that? And, and maybe there will be a, a situation where you do, but I thought she gave us great reasons to pause. I think that's a fantastic way of saying it. And if you didn't get a chance to read that one paragraph about it, I highly recommend it. Um, at the end of the day, a lecture is a lecture, right? So um, if you put it online, are you introducing a new barrier or have you worked to change anything about that? And I think that's a great point, Mark. Um, she also talks about blended learning um, and she talks about what in-person experiences are you replacing with online experiences? What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, it made me think of right away this last uh, 18 months or so and with, with the idea of folks really having to shift to Zoom and really all the challenges with that. But, you know, it also made me think of a couple of the bright spots that happened with Zoom. I remember an example on Twitter with a first grade teacher sharing the example of how a first grader had reached out to his or her, I can't remember, his or her classmates and just wrote something in the chat that I could never picture a first grader standing up in front of their class and saying um, something like, you know, is, is, is there anyone that wants to be my friend? And then just the kids just jumping on the chat and just responding to that. So I know that's not a mathematical example, but it really made me realize that there were the types of interactive discourse that could happen simultaneously with chat and an oral discourse over Zoom that were pretty interesting. And so um, I'm not, I, I realize that we don't want to run back to being full-time on Zoom, but at the same time, I wonder how we harvest those, those small uh, advantages and how those might play out in the future for us in classrooms. I think that's a great point. So thinking about being completely virtual or being partially hybrid, there was lots of things tried out in classrooms across our area and across um, for all those who are listening. I'm sure you've all tried many things in the last, uh, you know, 18 months or so with your students. And so thinking about each one of those, like in what cases did we actually remove barriers? Because when we did that and we changed them to opportunities, those are the ones we want to keep for our students. Those are the right. ones that we want to really think about, like we're meeting the needs of variable learners. Right, for sure. You know, the other thing that Kathy brings up is, she really is pretty relentless about this one point, and I really appreciate it. In multiple messages, she really maintains this best option of students tackling the worthwhile problems first and then discussing their thinking, participating in discussions with others. And you know what's made me think about, Audrey? You know, this book was written in 2015. It's like in the last six years, I wonder, like, do we feel like technology has at all made some progress toward allowing that really rich, high quality instruction in mathematics to take place in a more virtual setting? I, I'm not sure, but I'm wondering about that. Yeah, it's a great point. And there were definitely highlights for people over the course of the last year and a half where people said, we did have some awesome discussions online and here's where they happened. Um, but some things had to 
some things had to be in place to make that possible, right? Um, and tools right. had to be used a certain way. So, so when thinking about whether or not to implement technology, Kathy offers a couple of questions to consider. And one is just, or um, as a stance about being a skeptical consumer. And I think that's just a great way to go into any new thing being introduced into your classroom, whether it's technology or a strategy or anything else and saying like, what's going to be the impact on my students, right? Um, in specific, she said, what's, you know, all the data that's behind it, that's great. Did it help with test scores? Does it help with filling in, you know, something that students need to know? But she says, but also ask, what's going to be the impact on my students' ability to think, reason, and develop mathematical habits of mind? And so we can't lose sight of that with technology. Like we can't just choose a technology for the sake of, oh, it's going to fill in, you know, over here on the root stuff that doesn't require our kids to think or reason. Like, okay, well then should we be doing that at all? Right. right. Um, so yeah. I think it's just worthy of being a skeptical consumer. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, all this talking about thinking reasoning is bringing, bringing me back to our first season of our podcast with Peter Lilliedal, you know, with his thinking classrooms. Like it made me wonder about this is like, think back to that, Audrey, that all that great stuff that we were talking about, that was all low tech. There was no technology or at least very little mentioned in in that work. So. I mean, it really makes you think about like, if you're ever going to take something like the thinking classrooms and instructional strategies we read about, like you would, you would only bring tech into that to enhance it into somehow lower barriers. You've been saying, um, we wouldn't just say, oh, now let's bring tech into thinking classrooms because we're in the 21st century. You know, like it, it, it'd have to be something very thoughtful to do. And you'd have to have a good reason for doing that. Agreed. So doing that cost benefit analysis, like what is this going to cost me in terms of my time, my energy, my students' time and attention, and how, what's the benefit coming out of it can be so important. Um, appreciate Kathy's perspective on that. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, in this, as we get to our final message to talk about today, message 44, uh, this one has to do with driving, like in driving a car, right? Or driving some kind of a vehicle, um, which is interesting to think about with technology, such, such a great analogy. And um, you know, we might think that we give a student like we're going to go one to one on devices, right? They're going to do all the driving like everybody's got an iPad. So uh, that means they're all doing the driving, right? They're making the decisions. Well, Kathy gives us lots to think about, including, you know, an interesting driving analogy with GPS. Um, is GPS a distraction or a tool for me to use as a driver to support me getting to my destination? Yeah, I love that. Um, as someone who commutes pretty far to work each day when I have to drive into the office, right. like there are days and times when having my you know GPS device or my Google Maps open is so, so valuable to me. And there are other times when I'm like, I'm shutting that thing off. Like I cannot <laughs> handle you telling me turn around for the fifth time. Like it's not there. Um, so I think it's really important to think about in the context of a GPS, like um, we need to help as teachers train our students to become these successful drivers. I think this analogy is fantastic. Like if you're sitting as a passenger, you notice certain things. If you're sitting as a driver, you notice a whole bunch of other things. And so as a teacher, as someone who's been through these learning experiences and learned some things about math, how are we transparent about our decisions about whether or not I'm choosing to use a calculator or whether or not I'm choosing to use a strategy? Like, how do I like make that known to my students? Mm. So that they understand, like, I am intentionally not choosing a calculator here. And here's why for me, right. it is easier for me to make sense of this without a calculator. But right now I'm going for a calculator. Why? I can never remember this one. So I'm going to check it. 
I don't want to make a mistake here because it's going to affect the rest of my problem. Whatever it is, like making all of our thinking really visible and um, auditory for our students so they can transparently hear our decision making. And I also think that goes with sharing our noticings. Like I'm thinking about the context of as a driver, you notice signs, you notice um, speed limits, you notice traffic, right? So how do we do the same thing in that analogy for our students and say, well, these numbers are interesting to me, or this graph is interesting mm. to me, or here this shape looks interesting to me. Like how do we enlighten and point our students' attention towards those things, even as when they're in a passenger mode so they can start to experience it as a driver? Um, I think is a valuable way for us to transition them into that role. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, everything you're talking about, Audrey, is reminding me of one of my favorite questions. My favorite quite one of my favorite questions is how many decisions are students making in the course of a math lesson? Because you, everything you're just talking about now had to do with making decisions, you know, as the driver. Um, so I, I've been using this as a reflective question for a little while after teaching lessons, and I just think it really applies here. I think that's fantastic. I, I think students choosing about whether or not technology is helpful or not, that is a decision we're ultimately trying to get in the hands of students. So yes, mm -hmm. teachers are modeling that, you're making that decision transparent as you're doing things, but ultimately we want our students to be able to choose, do I want that tool in this case? Why or why not? And which tool do I want? Right. And, you know, as we get back to talking about technology specifically in the classroom, it made, makes me think about in some ways, in some applications of individualized learning, it seems like there's a, there's a belief that there's, it's best for kids to take the journey alone because then the tech can be customized to deliver information. But then I think what Kathy would say to that, I'm guessing, and at least what I would say to that is, is the goal for us just to deliver information to students? If, if it is, then maybe the tech would be more efficient for that. But Kathy maintains that, like, that the whole social act of debating and discussing tasks, strategies, and solutions is really a critical part of the learning process. Um, so it's kind of like in the example you gave with your daughter, there was enough room in there for her to go back and rethink something. And so I think that's just something we have to keep in mind. I, I totally agree. And so I think it's worthwhile to repeat at this point that it's okay to not use the GPS every time <laughs> you get in your car, right? right. Um, and similarly, that's true for our teachers as instructional experts to make a decision to say like, right now is not a good time for me to use technology with my students. Um, and I think you mentioned earlier, there's a Peter Lilliedahl's work in thinking classrooms definitely lends itself to be low tech. Um, do you have a specific example of that? Yeah, actually, actually, I do. You know, this whole Kathy's whole notion of upside down teaching with a non-routine problem as the launch and turning the driving, you know, we're talking about the driving, turn the driving over to the students right away. You know, it does take me back to season one with Peter because his research supports. And remember when we talked about this, a five minute launch before his research research shows that the learning dwindles right after five minutes. Wow, that really accelerates how fast, <laughs> no pun intended, how fast we need to get kids driving, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it, there's a nice reflection question at the end of this message. And it says, it says this, how much driving do your students do in the classroom? How much do you do? How can you shift more responsibility to students for guiding their own learning? So all this makes me wonder, Audrey, like, what things as an educator could I look for when I'm teaching a lesson that, that gives me like a heads up, uh-oh, heads up, 
you are driving too much. <laughs> and what signs would I notice conversely that, oh, my students really are taking more of the driving. So I think it would be great to sort of develop those things, right? Because then we could be more uh, reflective as we're working with our students. I think that's a great point. I also think as someone who's taught um, my one of my nephews to drive, like part of teaching a student to drive um, is you have to know your students and you have to have really open communication with them um, in a thoughtful and appropriate way to allow them to begin to take over driving, right? Um, and then to be there by their side when they are in the driver's seat to help them continue to notice things and to continue to see things that they're you know, just beginning to make sense of um, and might seem overwhelming at the time when they're beginning to do that on their own. Yeah, that, that's for sure. That's, that's really important in all of this. And I just want to put a, one more shout out in the back of this particular message in, in where the, all the resources are. There's uh, Kathy Listen, NCTM Research Brief, and it's called, What Are Some Strategies for Facilitating Productive Classroom Discussions? And uh, I have used this article in multiple settings, and I just found it to be a really great support as we try to build these build and facilitate discussions within our classrooms. So I, I, I put that resource out for you um, if you're not aware of it. So um, just wanted to let you know, folks. And uh, here we are at the end. Thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about rethinking our practices. And we'll use messages 18, 36, and 37. You can grab the full schedule by visiting www.sdcoe.net slash math and clicking on the podcast page. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on your professional learning journey. Remember, faster isn't smarter. Mm -hmm.